Hello and welcome to the AdNug Podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is a recording from our August 2017 meeting, an introduction to Azure API management. Bill Chesnut will discuss and demonstrates the features of Azure API management. He looks at the publisher and Azure portal, the developer portal, and demonstrates API import and the power of the API management policies. He'll also look at different usage scenarios and benefits of Azure API management of both web applications and hybrid integration. And now, over to the presentation. Okay, um, so yes, so as he mentioned, uh, my name is Bill Chestnut. I'm a cloud platform and API evangelist for Six Pivot. Six Pivot's based out of Brisbane, but um, I live in Melbourne and with the one other developer, and then uh, we have one developer here in uh, Adelaide also. So uh, one of the nice things we do is a lot of the stuff that we do is remote, uh, except I'm teaching a BizTalk training course this week, so I can't quite do that remotely. So I'm here doing that. This is the talk that I am giving next week in uh, NDC Sydney uh, around using uh, Azure to host your APIs. Um, how many people have got APIs in their existing development? How many people have, are approaching development with an API first approach? So that's good. So we're going to see um, some uh, several different ways to be able to host those APIs in Azure. And then the key part of this talk is about Azure API management what the features and what the functionality of Azure API management can do for your API program. So let's see if this finally catches on. Yep. So there's my contact details. Um, I got a slide. I got another slide at the end with those two. So the first thing we want to do is talk a little bit about APIs. Then we'll talk a little bit about the different PaaS services that are available in Azure for hosting your APIs. And I guess the reason I concentrated on the PaaS side of things is because if you just pick, if you just pick your virtual machine up off premises and take it and put it in Azure, you're not going to see a lot of benefit in terms of cost savings or, you know, or less work that you have to do. So I wanted to concentrate on those um, technologies that actually will save you and make it easier for you to do. Then we'll talk about uh, API management, talk about how we publish our APIs to API management what different types of APIs we can publish. Uh, we'll look at the policy. The policy engine is one thing that's looked over in API management. We'll dig into that a bit. And then we'll talk about security. Um, one of the big things about uh, APIs are typically how do I identify the callers and things like that. So we'll look at those different options there. And just a little bit of a summary. So histories or history around APIs. I started in the development world probably 30, I think it's 34 years ago, and I was doing IBM mainframe assembly language, not really API based. Uh, so, <laughs> but basically once we got into, I got into a lot of the Microsoft technology, um, it was that early days where we had our UI layer, we had a business layer, and we had a, a data layer. Um, and we still have that a lot in a lot of applications. Um, the key, I think, now is to look at how we can leverage APIs in between those layers um, so that basically um, my background is integration 
and the biggest problem we usually have with integration is that we can't go through anybody's business layer to do integration because they don't have the APIs available for us. So we end up integrating at a database layer and we have to build all of our business logic in the integration tool. So if they had an API layer up front of their business logic, that would be a much easier way to integrate. And again, that's why uh, when I talk about the APIs, I want those to be usable from either a web front end, a mobile phone front end, or integration technologies. Because basically, the more and more you put something out there, there's more people want to integrate, they want to automate stuff, they've got their own product that they're doing things with, but they need to be able to talk to your product. So if you've got APIs available, and if, if you think about it, there are a fair few APIs out there. I mean, if you want to do stuff with Twitter and Facebook and all of those kind of technologies, there's APIs out there you can use. Um, some of them are more friendly than others. I think the Twitter one they had out there and then they took it away and things like that. So, uh, But again, um, the API management will look at how easy it is to get started with an API program that you want to publish out to the world. And again, um, microservices is the latest buzzword. Um, APIs is, is a really good approach to that because basically each one of those microservices can be an API that you expose. Um, how many people have heard of Service Fabric? So Service Fabric is now got a way to publish those um, endpoints through API management too, so that you can get a little bit more security and things like that around them, more load balancing, things like that. So the PaaS services that we have in Azure that'll allow us to publish APIs basically is our API apps. Now, this one's been through a little bit of a checkered history. When they first put API apps out in Azure, it was designed for the Logic Apps product. And it had this really ugly gateway feature for its security. They've ripped all that out, out of it now, and basically now what it is is just Web API. Um, and basically we can do that through our um, the same app service plan that we do everything else through uh, in terms of websites. Um, and again, we can load balance that across different regions, so we can load balance it inside of a, of a region in Azure. Um, and I guess the other thing I've included in here around APIs is how many people have played with Azure Functions? So what I've seen some companies using is that they'll have the core APIs um, that they published maybe that CRUD layer for their different objects. And to bridge some of those, they've used functions that will call off to those different APIs and create a composite operation. So that's one of the reasons. And also it's all of a sudden they, somebody decides, okay, we've got an API that does all this, but we need some reporting on top of it. So we've got all of the stuff in an Azure database. We can quickly go out create an Azure function, goes out, does that manipulation, and delivers that data back from a function. So the other thing we, the, that I want to bring up in that is that there is built-in tooling now in API management to publish your um, Azure functions. How many people love coding the SAS tokens in your URLs? Nobody. So that's one of the nice things that we'll see with API management. We can get away from having to expose those to our users and things like that. 
And the last one is Logic Apps. Now, being a uh, BizTalk person, um, Logic Apps is the BizTalk for the cloud, or at least that's how it's been touted. Um, but basically, what Logic Apps does for us is gives us a way to orchestrate our APIs. So um, Logic Apps is based on the fact that I've got a whole set of APIs, and I can say, okay, call this API, look at the results, call another API, or loop around and call a bunch of APIs. Um, they've included a lot of pre-built stuff, so you can do all the stuff with Office 365. You can do all the stuff with most of the Azure, uh, the latest stuff they've added. If you want to be a little bit smarter about automating your deployments with ARM templates, all of that logic is now in uh, the Logic Apps so that you could go out and look up things from Key Vault, substitute them into your template, call that from uh, a Logic App or an API endpoint. And the nice thing about that too is I also can surface my Logic Apps through API management. So there is a tool that basically will point to all of the Logic Apps in your subscription and allow you to publish those out as APIs. So basically, for your users, they don't have to know that, okay, this is an API app and I call it this way. This is an Azure function, I call it this way. This is a Logic app and I call it this way. Because the nice thing is, is that means that I can have a nice API structure and I can have a mix of technologies behind it. Because a lot of people will start out with a lot of stuff still on-premises. They're going to bring it up eventually, but now it is on-premises, and they want to give that facade layer in API management to be able to have a better look and feel and, and developer experience. So API management includes a few things that I want to talk about. We have our a publisher. So how do we get APIs into API management? The nice thing is API management has a full set of APIs, <laughs> of course. Um, so I can do that. Uh, they've also got um, tooling around both VSTS and TFS for I can deploy uh, that way. And for all of those that um, really would much rather deal with API management as a Git repository, you basically it can turn on the Git repository. So all of the configuration for API management you can do a, a clone of the Git repository. You can make your changes, and you can push it back into API management. So basically, you've got access to all of the functionality in the configuration through the Git repository. So you can do all of that. I'm also then going to talk about the de developer experience. So there is a separate developer portal where developers can go in and discover your APIs. So how many people are publishing um, public APIs? So most everybody's using APIs internally for their products. The big question is, how does the rest of your developers inside of your organization find out about your APIs? They come and talk to you and you send them an email. So um, one of the things we'll see with the developer portal, it gives us the ability to document our APIs and also... Um, how many people love bringing up Postman to call an API to see what the data is going to look like? Yeah. We're going to see that inside of the API management portal is a testing tool that replaces all of that 
and takes care of your tokens? Yes. Um, it does um, pr provide Swagger, but it also provides code samples in a lot of different languages. So it uses Swagger. It also uses SOAP. So you can publish your SOAP services through API management, and you can publish your SOAP services as REST services. So that gives uh, people that need to build REST services, but they've got a bunch of SOAP services in the background. Uh, you've got a way that you basically can publish those through API management. But it does use Swagger under the covers. It'll also accept a Waddle, and it also has the built-in tooling for like functions and API apps and things like that. So the developer experience will show us how to, to expose those to the developer community that we want to expose to, and how we, um, and then basically give them the ability to get a API key to call our APIs, so to, that we can actually see who's using the APIs and how they're using them. Because one of the big uh, takeaways um, when I attended the API days in Melbourne, I think it's year and year, year and a bit ago is they said you need to monitor your API usage because people will find new and creative ways to use your APIs. And one of them was an example of they were using a search API that was limited to only bring back a subset of records, but they were able to repeatedly call it to discover everything in the database. So being able to monitor that through API management would give you the ability to detect that and also, you can have products in API management that will say, this is a starter product. I can, that person using this API can only make six calls a minute. And then they get back a 429 error. And I can also have a quota that says six calls a minute or a thousand calls a day. So I can control that uh, activity through that. We'll see that through the policies. Um, I can also do things like with policies, um, restrict IP addresses. So if I'm, it is targeted to my internal developers, I can lock that access to the, AP, the IP addresses that are coming from my internal network and things like that. Um, and the last thing I'll talk about is some of the security. It will allow you to use both OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect providers to be able to have people lo log in, get a token, pass that token in with your API call, validate that token in API management to keep it from going forward, and then also pass that token on to your back-end system so that you can use the contents of that token for validation, security, whatever you want to do with it. So let's hop into a few of those things. So the way we can publish our APIs and API management are these. So we basically have our the open API spec, which is Swagger. So it will consume the Swagger and define those APIs in API management. And what it allows me to do is in API management, you have an instance of API management. So mine would be something like biztalkbill.api-net at azure.com. You can have your own custom um, SSL and custom uh, domain names with it. But basically, then every API I import, I've got, I basically give it a suffix. So maybe a product suffix or something like that. So I get one URL for everybody to go to, and then I've got a, a subset of APIs published through 
the um, API management. So I and I can give different people access to different APIs. So um, we also can bring them in through Waddle. Um, probably a lot less popular than some of the Swagger side of things. We can also do WSDL. So how many people have got existing SOAP services that they need to use on a regular basis? Yeah, so that's one of the neat features that they've done in uh, API management. And it's, it's interesting, one of the side effects of publishing SOAP is that the API management instance in Azure gets a static IP address. So it allows you to expose your SOAP services through a static IP address. So if you have to call one of your customer's API, you could take their SOAP service, expose it in API management, and then when you call it, it's a static IP. So it solves a lot of um, the issues because if you look around Azure, there's not a lot of really inexpensive ways to get static IPs uh, unless you want to run your own virtual machine. Most of the PaaS type services won't let you do static IPs in most cases. Um, we also can bring in any logic apps that are in our subscription. So basically, and that's a, the, the other good advantage behind that is because if you look at the URLs that Logic App pushes out, it's got a SAS token in it and all this kind of stuff in it. So it's a fairly ugly URL. So we can use API management to make that a more user-friendly API uh, and also control a lot more the security side of it uh, because we can have different products, different things, uh, different user groups and things like that have access uh, we can do the same for API apps. There's basically a screen where you basically click on it. It'll show you all the API apps in your um, subscription, and then you can pick which ones you want to deploy into API management. Uh, we also have the same thing for Azure Functions or Function Apps. So all of those that are basically based on a HTTP endpoint, it's not going to help us a lot with anything that's waiting on a storage location or a service bus queue or anything like that. But anything that we've got exposed as a um, uh, API through a, a web protocol, then we can use it that way. Um, and then we also can define our APIs manually. So how many have been faced with a situation where you're starting a big project and the developers on the mobile phone side of it need to have your APIs to call today? And you're about three months away from finishing the coding. So I've used API management to accomplish this. Basically, I've gone in and hand-created a Swagger file. I could have gone into the portal and created it through the portal, but I've gone in and created a Swagger file, published it to API management. At the time, API management didn't have a mocking feature. It now has a mocking feature. What I did is I published it, and in my API, I called off to an Azure function, and then I used Mockaroo in the Azure function based on the class I defined to bring back the, the data that I was publishing through that API. So basically, almost instantly, it took us like less than two days to get all of the APIs up in a mock state with API management so then the, those developers could get started on what they needed to do. And it basically got the pressure off us to get everything done in a hurry. So now what they have is I can go into an API that I import and I can just check a button and it will return a mocked response. It does also re return something in the header of the request that says it's a mock service so that you can check to make sure all of a sudden I'm not running in production against a mock service, things like that, <laughs> which doesn't work well. 
So basically, those are the different ways I have to publish APIs. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at those now. So we'll bring up the Azure portal. And basically, um, what I have is I've got an instance of API management I created. Now, you don't want to do a demo of creating an instance of API management because it takes like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, because all of the instances of API management above developer are highly available. So there's multiple servers behind it, so you don't have any outage or anything like that. The developer edition isn't, but uh, we've been using those for a lot of our development work, and sometimes you'll have a 10 or 15 minute outage as they're rolling some new stuff in, but not, not a real long outage. So, and also at the moment, they're moving from API management was a product they bought. And they brought about two and a half years ago. And it came with a publisher portal and a developer portal. And what they're doing is they're in the process of moving the publisher portal from that publisher portal into the Azure portal. So they've got most of the functionality in the Azure portal now. And the good thing is it's got resource-based access control. So to use it in the Azure portal, you do not have to be the administrator of your subscription, which is a good thing. So you can basically have um, just access to API management and different levels of access in API management. So if we go here to the API preview, some of this stuff is still in preview, but it's, it is working. Uh, they're just waiting to release, to get rid of the other. So basically, here are all of our little tiles to bring in the different types of APIs that we might want to bring in. So if we go to the uh, open API spec, it basically wants to point to a um, URL where our Swagger's at, or we can upload a Swagger file. So if I've got a, a Swagger file in a uh, file on the disk, I can do that. I can give it a name and a description. I give it my suffix, so I could have like my customers, my products, or something like that, and have the APIs for those. And this is basically what the URI is going to look like, or the URL is going to look like. It's, this one is NDC, sydney.azure-api.net. But again, if I'm doing this as a commercial, um, and I'm using it, exposing it outside, I can create custom domain and push a, uh, have a custom domain name here. So I then basically go in and create. The same works for the WSDL is an interesting one because basically I have a choice here on the WSDL one. I can do SOAP pass-through. So if I just want to be able to publish my SOAP services out on the Internet, I could do it that way. Or if I need to have a REST version of my SOAP services, I can do the SOAP to REST. How many people are familiar with the liquid language? It is a transformation language that a few people have used. Uh, so that's what they use in the background to do that so uh, REST conversion to the SOAP message often to the your SOAP back in, comes back, transfers it from... X yes. Yes. It, it, they generate it for you. Yes. So, yeah, um, because basically what you would have is in your, you just mail the stub web service type thing that basically 
on one side would expose the rest, then the other side would expose the um, the soap service. Yeah, so you could do that. So, um, and so basically, I have to choose there, and uh, whether whether I want it to be just soap pushed out or whether I want to do uh, the rest. So, and a lot of times, what's happening is people need to use their existing soap services for web application or mobile phone applications. Um, Two and a half years ago, I worked on a project where we put BizTalk in Azure. Uh, BizTalk pushed out the REST services and called the SOAP services in the back end. So uh, this is a much easier approach than maintaining a BizTalk server just to do that. Um, so um, basically, we can have a bit of a look at that. Um, and then we've got um, our Logic Apps. So if we click on that, we can browse off to our subscription. So I've got a few Logic Apps there that have the um, SOAP endpoints. So basically I could go in and basically click on one of those and it would publish that uh, Logic App as a um, API. Take care of all of those SAS tokens and things like that for us and then basically uh, have the users call those. The same applies for our um, API apps. So if we have any API apps, so I've got a few API apps out there. So I could just grab those API apps and publish those inside of uh, API management. So we could try that on one of those. I haven't done this one. So we'll, I've got some um, cloud integration tools. I ran a, a one-day integration course that does API management, Azure functions, and logic apps. And I needed people to send messages to a service bus queue. So I wrote an API and just used the Swagger UI for them to they paste in their, their key and the message and the queue name, and it just sends a message to their, to their service bus queue. So I didn't have to write any extra t um, tooling and stuff for it. So if we click Cloud Integration, and it's basically going off and running the um, Swagger piece of that. And then so I'll put that under tools. And that'll be coming in. I can do the same thing for Azure Functions. So if I click on the Functions app one, it'll basically go out and find all the function apps that have an HTTP endpoint and basically allow me to um, bring those in as APIs. So what we have here now after it's done that is if I click on Cloud Integration Tools, you will see all the operations that I had exposed through that. Most of them were just very simple posts. And one of the things they've added is that even in the Publisher Portal, I now have a test utility. So I can go here and say test. It shows me I need a URL and a body. And then basically it's including an API management subscription key. And then basically I can call that. Um, I don't have a, uh, so let's see what happens when I try to do that. Okay, uh, it doesn't have any values. I'll put some bogus stuff in there and just see, it. it'll come back with an error. But um, So got, me a, got an assert, uh, a server internal error. Um, but basically, it's also got tracing involved. So basically, I can see what came in 
I can see it going off to the um, inspecting it going off to the back end service and then the results back from the back end service and it's also breaking up each one of those calls and giving me a millisecond response time how long it took to go do that so as I'm starting to work on that I can also in the request that gets returned to the consumer of that API they get a URL to this trace so it, but the trace is only kept for about 24 hours but if they're having problems they can always grab that trace out of the header and then go run the, and get a list of this in a JSON format to go look at what happened when they made that API call. So in our settings, then we also can look in here and we can decide whether we want to expose these as HTTP or HTTPS. It defaults to HTTPS only. Um, and the good thing is, is that there is a wildcard certificate out there for um, their endpoint that they assign you. So you've got HTTPS automatically. Um, we can then go into each one of the operations. Oh, actually, into there. And basically, it'll show us the... Um, what the parameters are and what the responses we've got defined. I haven't done a lot of work in this one to, I can define all of the different responses so I could have a, a 403 or a 404 response coming back defined in there also. Uh, but I could define all of that in my, uh, either my swagger or I could add it inside of API management. Um, and then also we're gonna talk more about all of these stages as we get to the policies. Um, and then on the front end side of things, we can look at the um, query parameters. We can look at the headers. So we, we could have headers that we request them to include. Um, and we could do our request and response items and add those in there also. Um, so that's basically what the publisher portal allows us to do, um, is to be able to go in there and import our APIs into our API management instance, and then be able to um, use those APIs from the different tooling. We'll see a bit more about this when we get to the um, developer portal in a second. So let me go back to the slides. So what I want to do, talk about with the developer portal is, okay, how do I get my developers onto that portal? So if, it, if it's an enterprise group of developers, I can use Azure AD. Um, if it's a developers from anywhere, I can use pretty much any of the social providers. So Facebook, Twitter, Google, all of those providers. I can also just do logon and password. I don't have to use a provider. I can just create, get them to create a user account, logon and password. By default, when you sign up for the developer portal, you get developer access to the APIs. What I usually do if I'm working on a project that's purely internal, I create a new group called internal developers and I publish all my APIs to internal developer and not to developer, so not public. 
so that they can't see it. And then basically what I do is when they get a count on the portal, I then add them to that internal developers group so they see all of the internal uh, ones. One of the customers I did this for recently, they had a, um, a Zendesk application they were using to collect their problem tickets, but they wanted to do a little bit better with it. So what they did is they exposed some APIs that let them query to say, okay, here's my customer number. Here's all the devices at the customer. Which one are you having problems with? So what we did is we published those APIs through API management, and then they had a contract Zendesk developer out of India building the Zendesk components that would call those APIs. And one of the things they got from the analytics in API management is they saw that he went out and tried all the APIs, and one of them came back with a 500 error. So they went and looked at the detail logs from the API and figured out there was a problem with the API. They fixed it before he actually had a chance to complain about it, So, which was a good thing. Uh, he basically, they could see, and it and also was, they could tell whether he was working or not because they could see the calls happening. They could see all the call logs in there, so they knew whether he was actually calling the APIs or not. So kept him honest a little bit. Um, also, the other thing is that we've got code samples. So if I ask you to generate the Objective-C to call your API, can you do that for me? So we're going to see it gives me a code sample in the developer portal for a lot of different languages to be able to call that API. So that's what I had to do for their Zendesk developer. It's because the Zendesk stuff is JavaScript. He made his own attempt at doing it. Even though he had access to API management, he didn't realize it was there. So I just went in there, cut out the JavaScript code, and emailed it to him. And then all of a sudden, he was up and running. He figured out how to call it through JavaScript. And then also, um, there is a wiki in there that your developers can raise issues against your APIs. And you can track those issues in the developer portal. And you can tell them when you fix those issues and things like that. The developer portal has got a full-blown CMS behind it. So you can customize it to look and feel just like your own website or whatever you want it to look like. Uh, and you can put extra pages. One of the the ones they, they highlighted at Ignite conference last year was they completely reskinned the developer portal to look just like their other website. So there were some extra pages they added that actually took you off to their website and brought you back to the API management developer portal, and you didn't know you were leaving. So they basically, because they already had a lot of very extensive documentation, they didn't want to put it in the API management portal. They had it in another portal. So they skinned it the same way, and we're able to basically do that. So let's go have a quick look at the developer portal. So at the moment, to get to the developer portal, we click Developer Portal, <laughs> and that pops a new website. They have been having issues passing your logon through, but this one didn't. It came through as administrator. And again, this is the default skin of the portal. So basically, it gives me um, the name of my API management instance. And basically, I've got access to my APIs. So those are all the APIs that I have in my publisher portal. I can go look at my cloud integration ones. And you can see there are the four posts that I have in my 
um, the uh, publisher portal. I can get details about them, their response. Um, if I have support multiple um, outputs, so if I've got it coded to where if you tell me that I, you want to do a um, accept on application JSON or accept on application XML, it'll support that. And then here is the code to call. So if you're a CURL fan, that's basically the code that you need to include to call that API through CRL. Um, here's the C sharp. So basically, all of these are console apps. So they're not. They're, you're not going to cut and paste this code into what you're using, but you'll use it as a uh, a way to look at there. So basically, there's my API management subscription key. Then here's the Java version of that. Here's the JavaScript version of that. Here's the Objective C. There's PHP, Python, and Ruby. So basically any of those languages that anybody wants to use your API from is basically there as sample code of how to set up the um, API management key and things like that. So, And in here also we have our products. So you can group your APIs into different products and you can create different products. So the default out of the box, the way they've got it set up is they've got a starter product and it has limitations. So I can do like six calls a minute and, uh, but the unlimited basically lets me do any number of calls. Um, they also have, uh, applications. So if you're in, if this is an external API that people can use, they can register their application in your developer portal so other people can see how your APIs are being used. So it's kind of a pub publicity type thing a little bit. And then we've got the issues page that allows us to um, people to create, report an issue, and then basically we can respond. The uh, You can set up who in the administrator side of th things gets these um, API, the um, issues. And then basically you can respond in the um, uh, port developer portal. So it gives them one place to work for that. And that really worked good. We used that actually with that Zendesk developer because he was working in a different time zone than us. So there was a lot of times that we weren't in the office to respond to his emails. Um, so we started using the issues uh, feature of the developer portal to be able to respond to those. Plus you've got the history in there. Um, so if you need to go back and look at it. So we can go deeper into this, but basically like the same as we had before. There's an Echo API out here, so I want to. I'll show you this one. And basically, it's just got a simple uh, Echo API. Let's do the Git resources one. So I can hit try the try it. It brings me up ability to type in the parameters and the authorization, and I hit send. And there's my response, and I keep hitting send. And then eventually, because I'm using the starter product, I get a 429 error. But I also get some additional information that says I need to wait another 54 seconds before I can try again. Not that it just it's, gives me a 429. So it can tell me that I need to wait 54 seconds and I can try this again. If I did that on the unlimited, I wouldn't get the, um, wouldn't get the throttling happening there. So... One of the things I could do is I could basically 
set up, um, or I'll talk to that when I get to the security. One of the things that we will look at in the policy is that we can have a cached version of our API. So if I go back to this other screen here, you'll see that I have a retrieve resource and a retrieve resource cached. So the only one that was in my API code is the retrieve resource. What I've done is I've created another API in the portal that basically has a URL of retrieve resource underscore cached. And I've set up a caching policy on that to say cache that request for five minutes. So basically that um, if I'm using it to populate drop-down lists and things like that where I can allow it to be cached, um, use the cached version of it. And I didn't have to change my back-end code at all. I basically just published the same API. It does a URL rewrite in the policy to use that caching. They're working on the ability for you to bring your own cache. Right now they've got cache and it's in the, the amount of cache varies by the different um, product, so either developer standard or premium. But basically, we can use that to cache. The only problem they did on this one, even the starter one, even though if it gets a cached request, it still counts towards the five requests. Where um, when we look at the policy, I'll show you, you could just move the caching piece to the other side of where it's checking the quota, and you could let them have unlimited cache requests, but only five non cached requests if you want. And again, you can control what you use to determine the cache. So if it's the full um, URL or if it's certain parameters in the URL, you can cache by that. So. so that's pretty much what we want to talk about with our... Um, oh, actually, I'll show you here in the profile. This is where I know what my subscription keys are. So basically, as an administrator, I've got subscription keys for both the starter product and the unlimited product. And it depends on which, and I have to, when we create a new product, and I, as a developer, I will have to request the keys, or if I set the product up to give everybody keys, so it's not a, registration's not required. I can set an API up that doesn't require keys, but you lose all control over who's calling it and things like that. Um, but if you had something like a weather API that you're just throwing out there for free, you could turn off the, the need for a API management, the, ma the management key. But in most cases, you want that management key uh, to be able to track who's using your API. Because what they're working on, they're working on an extension to it now to be able to monetize the calls. So in the Azure, with the Azure portal, so people would sign up for a subscription to your API, and then basically the billing and everything would be done through the Azure portal. So that's one of the things. One of the good things that the API management group has done also is all of their backlog is on a Trello board, and it's public. So if you want to see what they're working on, you can go out and look at the Trello board. So if you just search for API management Trello, you'll find their board, and you'll see what they're working on now, what they've got planned, or what they've got in progress and what they've got planned. They have a really strong user voice on Microsoft. So if you want a particular feature, you can go out and put the feature in and get people to vote for it, things like that. So, so let's hop back to the slides now and talk a little bit about our 
policies. So inside of the API management instance, and you remember before where we had the front end, we had the back end, and we had some intermediate, the in and the out. Each one of those levels, I can actually put a policy, which is a bit of code that will allow me to manipulate the payload, manipulate the call, add restrictions, add caching, pretty much any of these things. So we've got access restrictions, so I could restrict by a subscription how many calls they can do. I can uh, look at the IP address that's coming in and restrict by IP address if I wanted to. <laughs> it's a, uh, a, a XML language type thing, so I'll show it to you in a minute. Um, I can't remember what exactly what they call it, but yes, yeah, it's not freeform. Um, but you can call an Azure function from inside of it. So you can call off to an endpoint. Um, so if you really wanted to do some really fancy stuff with it, you could call off. So they've got some advanced policies. They've got authentication policies. So if you've got an OAuth2 token or a um, OpenID Connect token, you can actually crack the token inside of API management and request a claim. So this API can only be called by somebody that has administration privileges. And I can stop it at the API management and not, never get to my back end. Um, so and then I've got a whole set of caching policies of how I want to cache, whether it's by the um, uh, at the product level, at the API level, or at the operation level. All of these policies will can be applied at all of those levels. Um, also, cross-domain resources. So if anybody's played with where you had to set up the cores rules and things like that, you've got ability to control that in uh, the policies. And then also, you've got some transform policies. So your services only speaks XML, and everybody wants to use JSON. I've got a JSON to XML and an XML to JSON that I can call in part of my uh, transformation. So it gives me the ability to handle that. Um, that doesn't quite solve the SOAP problem. That's why they use liquid in there uh, for the, um, the SOAP. But it basically will allow you to um, be able to provide either XML or JSON to a uh, endpoint. And you could do it based on the accept request in there. So you could look at that and say, okay, somebody wants J XML, so we'll call a bit of code that will convert our JSON to XML. Or if it's already XML and they need JSON, we can call and convert it in there. So we're going to hop in now. And also what I want to do is pick, I don't have anywhere close enough time to go through all the policies. So there's a URL. And I'll put these uh, slides out for David to put up. Um, but basically, um, all of the policies are detailed in there. So, so we go. And we go look at our API management instance. We're going to go back to here. And if we pick this send HTTP request, we'll see that we can apply a policy at the front end, inbound processing, outbound processing, and the back end process. So, and you'll notice that you get this little thing called base in here, okay? So if I have a policy at the product level, I can execute an extra policy above that 
or below that. So if I've got one, if I've got a retrieve resource that's got that quota limitation on it, I could override it for retrieve and only make the restriction happen on updates and things like that. So I get the quota on it. So if I put my policy above it, it gets executed before the API level policy or before the um, product level policy. So, it, And it also gives me a chance to, if, if 10 of my APIs need this policy but one of them doesn't, I can override it in that one and I don't have to write custom ones in each one of those nine. So, and we can go in here. This is the back-end service. So actually, let's go in and look at the Echo API. And we will look at the cached. And we'll look at the inbound processing. And we'll look at the policy. Okay. Okay. I'm going... Some of this stuff doesn't quite work the way they had it designed in the uh, Azure portal yet. So I'm going to go fall back to the um, policy editor in the uh, API, the um, publisher portal. So if I select my product, I could, and you'll notice you see the little black square there by starter. That means there's a policy for the starter product. So if I click on that, you will see that I have a policy in there that's related to um, some logging I'm doing. I've got it logging to Event Hub. So I'm logging all of the requests that come in, and I can uh, do a custom logging to an Event Hub. Uh, and, and then also it has the rate limiting. So this is where the rate limiting gets applied. I've got both rate limiting and quota. So rate limiting says so many a minute. And the quota says so many over a 24-hour period or whatever period I want to set. So then I could go back up here, and then I could look at the selected API. And I don't have any policies applied at the API level because you would see them in a little square. So I could go back to all of my products. I could select an individual API. And there's no policies at the API level, but if I select the um, retrieve resources cached, we have a policy at that particular API that basically says that I'm going to do a cache lookup um, and then I'm going to rewrite the URL before it calls the back end if it needs to call the back end and take off the underscore cached off of the end of the URL. And then I'm going to if I've gone to the back end to get the data, I'm going to put that data back in, into the cache for five minutes so that the next call would get the cached request. So here are a few of the ones that we have. So over here, and let me, I've got uh, allow cross-domain calls. I can authenticate. I can uh, check the HTTP header if I need to make sure there are certain things in the HTTP header. I can also do JSON to XML, XML to JSON, find and replace in the body. So if there's something I need to fix up, uh, I can do a find and replace in the body. Um, I could do a um, get from cache. I can do a uh, limit calls by the key, limit calls per subscription. 
the one I had before was log to event hub. It allows me to create some extra log information. For those people that have ever done BizTalk, there's a business activity monitoring and, and that lets you pull out fields and put those into a logging store. The log to event hub is from that. Um, remove values from cache, restrict the um, caller, rewrite the URL. Um, I can set the body. So if, I, if it's a static, <laughs> if something's static I want to return, I could set that to return a static value. That's what I was doing when I was calling off to Makaroo. I would get the, the payload from Makaroo, and then I would set the body. And if I set the body in the inbound, it never makes it to the back end or the output. It basically returns immediately. So it shortcuts any of that. Um, and let's see. Set query string methods. Um, Invoke XSLT to do a map. So if you really, really want to hardcore map some XML, you could do XSLT here. Um, and then basically validate the JWT token. Uh, and you could wait for, if you call off to another service, you could wait for that to return. So again, the other nice thing they've got is a effective policy. So this basically brings all of the policies together for this particular API. So uh, let me do one thing here. I'll select the starter product, and I'll select my uh, cached, and then I'll do an effective policy. So you'll see that it's brought in the policy from the product and the one on the individual API because it would drive you nuts trying to debug this if you couldn't figure out what other policies were, get, were getting used in this. So it gives me the ability to do all of that. So again, the fact that I can manipulate payloads and things like that in the policies makes it a really strong feature that, okay, yes, I know what my API wants to look like in 12 months, but I know what it looks like now. So I could actually publish it into API management, do the manipulation that I need to do in API management while my developers are working on what it's going to look like in 12 months. So it uh, gives us a lot of flexibility around that. So, and The other thing we want to do is talk about some of the security. So one of the things that we can do is between API management and our back end, we can have either basic authentication. We could also have certificate. So basically have a certificate, a, a client certificate, and let API management have that client certificate. And that would be the only way to call our API so that we guarantee that it comes through API management. We could if we wanted to change our code because everything that comes in in the API management editor, including the API management key, gets passed through to our call. So you could make sure that there was an API management key in the header before you actually let the back end process it. If I also can do things like, um, that's just from API management to your back end. So that controls if, to make sure that nobody can go around API management and get to your API. Then I could also have user authorization. And basically, I could have um, any of the OAuth 2 providers, which includes like Azure AD, 
I could also have OpenIE Connect, which is OAuth 2 version 2 or whatever you want to call it. It's the next version of it. And basically what you can have is the customer we had in Brisbane, they um, had to get a web, a mobile phone app out to their customers because their main competitor published a mobile phone app and they were losing market share at a very rapid pace. So we put API management in, put a VPN behind API management into their network because they had absolutely no internet connections from their network and they were scared to death to open ports. So basically we put API management in a VPN and then basically we published all of their APIs through API management. We even published their authentication server. So they had an identity server three sitting inside their network that they were using for authentication. So basically we put those calls in API management also. It didn't require a token for those, but you'd call in, you'd get a token, and then you could call the other APIs by putting that token in the header. And we can basically go in to each one of our APIs and we can set a requirement to have um, a token and from any of the token providers that we've defined. And then we can crack those JWD tokens and do claims if we really need to in those policies. And then also, by default, people really can't call your API unless they have an API key. They're going to get stopped at the API management layer. If you don't have an API management key, you're not going to make it to your back end. So, um, the, and then also, because you're in Azure, you get all that wonder, wild and wonderful denial of service and all of that support that you get in there. So, basically, um, let's have a bit of a look at the security options. So I'm going to stay in the um, publisher portal at the moment because it actually gives me a little bit better view of this. They're still working on this part of it. So I've got a security tab here for my API that says, okay, what do I want to use for proxy authentication to call my backend service? So we'll see that I got either a... HTTP basic or client certificates. I do basic. It wants me to put username and password in there. And then client certificates, basically, I need have, there's a place in the portal where you upload the certificates to. And before everybody asks, they are working on the ability to call off to Key Vault for the certificates so that they don't have to maintain the certificates. They use the certificates from Key Vault. Then also um, in my user authorization, I have basically I can use either an OAuth 2 provider or an OpenID Connect. And I've got Auth0 set up as an uh, OAuth 2 provider. And the way I do that is I go over here to the security tab. And I've got my OAuth 2 providers. And basically I've set up Auth0, but basically I could add as many OAuth 2 providers as I wanted and I can also do the same thing for OpenID Connect and it's just a matter of getting all of the configuration information I need so basically the registration URL the authorization endpoint the token endpoint and my client ID and my client secret to talk to uh, Auth0 so um, 
and the same for that. Now, delegation's an interesting. I'll, I'll cover that at the moment. Say you've got your own developer portal already for people to use for your APIs, and you've got a login for it, and you want to give them access to the developer portal on API management. You can delegate that logon authority to yours, so it'll basically, if they go to the API management developer portal, it'll take them off to your portal, log them in, give you a callback URL to bring them back to the API management portal. So if you've already got them signed up in your own um, directory and things like that, you don't need to use the API management one. So they've given you a lot of flexibility of how you authenticate your users. Um, client certificates, this is where I uh, upload that. These are also all of the um, identity providers for the developer portal. So I can use Azure Active Directory, Azure Active Directory B2C, Facebook, Google, Microsoft account, Twitter, or just plain old username and password. So that's all of the different ones for the developer portal. And then you can also um, decide whether you want to have anonymous users and things like that sign up. Um, now, the other one is that you can configure your GitHub repository. That's the other security feature is I can configure up my GitHub repository so that I can do a clone of all of the configuration in API management. So one of the things people have used that for is I've got a developer version, I've got a test version, and I've got a production version. I can pull out the Git repository. I can go through and do some updates of the files to change to from dev to test, and then I can do the same thing to production if I wanted to maintain that. The other thing is the premium version of API management is pretty expensive. Um, so some people, um, the, the premium edition gives you load balance between regions. So you can have an instance in Sydney and an instance in Melbourne, and it load automatically load balances with Traffic Manager in front of it. But it is a bit expensive. It's about 3800 a month for, per instance. But it is high availability, and it shares the configuration between those and it supports like 32 million requests a month or some or some really astronomical amount of requests. Uh, and it also supports the VPN in the back and things like that. But what other customers have done is you put a standard edition in Melbourne and a standard edition in Sydney, and they're about 800 a month. And basically you put the load balancer and just put normal traffic manager in front of those so that basically you can... Uh, have high availability without uh, premium edition. One of the number one asks right now is a basic version that's cheaper. So hopefully they are considering it. Um, but at the moment, um, because all of everything is highly available in that standard edition, which means you've got multiple servers, multiple databases, and all that kind of stuff in the back end of it when you configure it. So that's one of the things. Yes. 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 <coughs> Sorry. Nope. Yes. Um, I, I really thought when I pr proposed it to the customer in, in Brisbane to, to solve their problem because they went with premium because they got um, the VPN behind it, they didn't even blink. So depends on... Um, 
the requirements that you have um, and what the uh, ability to basically present a really good front and not have to build a lot of the tools. Um, and also it gives you that extra layer of security and monitoring. <coughs> so the um, other thing is you can turn on the API keys. So to be able to access your instance of API management through um, the APIs provided. Um, the other things here you can have, this is where you set up your products. Uh, and basically the products you can choose there of whether I want the um, require a subscription, whether a require a subscription approval, um, also the visibility of that, what groups I want to see those um, products, all of the subscribers for the products, and any outstanding subscription requests. So if the developers have requested a subscription. Um, the last thing I'll talk about, which I didn't have on the slides, is a little bit of the analytics. So there you can see all the calls that I've made today while we were talking in there. Um, with uh, That's basically just the different calls. If I scroll down, you can see that I've got the top developer, the top product, the top subscription, top API, uh, top operation. How many successful calls, how many blocked calls. So when I did that retrieve resource one, I had that one that got blocked. I can also go and have a separate one that it just gives me the usage data. And I can narrow that down by date ranges and things like that. I can also look at where the calls were from. This would be interesting if all of a sudden they all start coming from Russia. You might think about what's happening with your API um, and things like that. I can also then look at the health. And what that does is it looks at the status codes that have come back from my API. So how many people have called my API and got an error. And then also I can look down and see the response time for my API and then the underlying response time for the service. So it came into API management, did a little bit of work, and then went off to my backup service. How long is my backend service taking? So I can look and see whether I need to scale that backend service to help my response time. And then basically we've got uh, the just activity. So this is by developer, um, by API, by product, subscription, things like that. So that's pretty much what I wanted to show you in API management. Let's hop back to slides. So basically, in summary, basically uh, more and more people have gone with APIs in their development. They're starting from an API first design. Um, how you um, put those APIs to use. Uh, if you didn't use Azure API management, you could just publish your APIs. Um, if you start looking at the on-premise API management tools, there's a lot of those that are out there. They're typically in the $150,000 to $200,000 range just to get started. Uh, I've looked at them. <laughs> so Azure API management looks cheap compared to some of those. Um, so you just have to think about um, because basically they're providing all of those services inside of your network. Um, one of the features they've got on the list that they're looking at is a on-premise gateway so that they can publish some of that API information inside of your network so that if you're using it 
totally inside of your network. You don't have to go out to Azure and back in. It'll shortcut that. Uh, the Azure Function guys are looking at the same thing. So they're working on that at the same time. Again, your past services are where you're going to get the most benefit from Azure. Taking your virtual machines from on-premise to the cloud is not going to save you a lot because you still got to do all the same patching and things like that that you would do on-premise. The only thing it gives you is the ability to scale up really quickly without having to go find hardware. Um, the Azure API management, um, there are a, a lot of people using it. Um, it is fairly good. It solved a lot of problems for some clients that I had, um, especially the SOAP to REST. And because, I mean, we had, if you think about it, we had BizTalk running in Sydney. We had BizTalk running in Melbourne. We had a traffic manager in front of it. And we had VPNs into the on-premise to basically make those SOAP requests, turn them into REST, and deliver them out to a mobile app. So when you think about only have to now maintain the API management side of it, uh, the cost doesn't seem as bad. So, um, And again, next steps, developer edition's about $45 a month. Go out and spin up a developer edition and start having a play with it. See, see if it will meet what you're trying to do. See how it looks uh, around the, especially the SOAP and SOAP to REST. One of the other features that it's actually paid for itself is if I want a static IP address to call something on one of my partner sites, um, I can publish that, a that SOAP service or that REST service inside of API management and get a static IP address that API management has. If I want to do that in some of the other tools, I need to go to a um, Azure environment, the app service environment, and they're anywhere from about 2200 up to about five grand a month um, for those. And you have to manage all your front-end servers, your back-end servers, your deployment side of things from there. Um, the other thing is you can even use it. So, say your company was using uh, Salesforce and you didn't want the developers to have to manage the keys and the tokens that Salesforce uses. You could publish the Salesforce APIs through API management and then have the developers call those so that you can then control which ones they can get to and all that. You get that level of control for basically any service that you want to do. So, And basically there are my contact de details again. Uh, so basically if you've got any questions, feel free uh, to give me a call. Uh, my Twitter handle is BizTalkBill still. I haven't figured out how to, to transition to an Azure one yet that sounds right. So basically I still got that one. And um, thank you very much. Any questions? If not, we can talk around pizza, because I see pizza's already out. <laughs>